If you are related to Garrett Whitfield in any way, I stole his towel at camp. I want to return it so that I won't be known as the thieving preacher. There we go. All right, here's the, here's, here's the deal. The international rules, uh, the international rules specify that the game is to be played with a, a sphere having a mass of 2.7 grams and a diameter of 40 millimeters. The rules also state that that sphere shall bounce 24 to 26 centimeters high when dropped from a height of 30.5 centimeters onto a solid steel plate yet thereby having a coefficient of restitution of 0.89 to 0.92. The sphere, the sphere is made of plastic or similar plastic materials. It's colored white or orange with a matte finish. Bet you never knew it was so technical to build a ping pong ball. That's what that was. It's a ping pong ball. There's a ruling body that makes sure that ping pong balls are built just that way. And there is controversy in the world right now because China has been playing with 38 millimeter ping pong balls, or everybody had, but China's so good they increased the size to 40 millimeters to make the ball go a little bit slower. Ping pong's big business. It is a big stinking deal. And let me tell you something else. At 9.30 at camp, when you've got three or four 11 and 12 year olds standing around you with wooden paddles that cannot get to a ping pong ball let me tell you it is a big deal ping pong balls are very 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 important Wednesday night uh, after we got through with the day at camp we're sort of winding down getting ready to get ready for bed because you know with that age group you have to get ready to get ready you don't just go do because that doesn't work so we're getting ready to get ready for bed We've got people out playing volleyball. We've got people playing basketball. They're playing cornhole. Uh, some are just sitting around talking. And then there's a group that wants to play ping pong, which is cool. There's two ping pong tables there. There's paddles all over the place. There's this machine there that looks like a bubble gum machine. Round handle you turn. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You put your money in, you turn the handle. It spits out a ping pong ball. There's only one problem. When the young lady dropped her quarter into the machine and turned the handle, it would not turn. I have an alarm going off up here. <laughs> I'll get used to it in a second. Um, so there's, she puts the quarter in and it, and it won't turn. And so they fiddle with it for a while. And there's Mr. Randy sitting down trying to recuperate from the night before when I played three volleyball games, which I thought I was pretty good at volleyball, but I was told next time I was going to be the coach. Thanks, Wade, that hurt my feelings. But anyway, they call me over, and I, I, I look at the machine, and, and it won't do its thing. And so we tried, we tried some things to make it work. We tried the mechanical method. Gentlemen, I know that you're familiar with the mechanical method. We've all used that sometimes. When something's broken, it doesn't work. You hit it. And we beat on it, and that didn't work. We tried the oscillation method. Grab it. Shake that didn't work. We tried the invasion method. I found a stick, pulled the little door open and poked the stick up in it thinking maybe something was jammed and that didn't work. We even tried the mental telepathy method. Y'all know what that one is. Hmm. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. And I've got these 
11 and 12 year olds standing there with wooden paddles looking at me with eyes that say, get us a ping pong ball now. And I think, you know, the maintenance guy's on duty. And the maintenance guy said to me, I mean, he said to me to my face, Randy, if y'all need anything, anytime, call me. Now, anything, anytime meant to me clogged shower drain, clogged toilet, big deal stuff. But look into the eyes of these 11 and 12-year-olds, I realized that a ping-pong ball was just as important as a clogged toilet. So I went and got on the phone and called the maintenance man, and he runs over, gets up there, he looks at the machine, does a a little diagnostic stuff as he did, you know, his little wizardry. And what it turns out to be is that the the base of it had broken last year and somebody had swapped out the base with another base and they had swapped it out with a 50 cent base. If we had put two quarters in, it would have turned. But then we would have been ripped off because it's 25 cents a ball. So what the guy did is he took it apart to put it in his car. He let me buy four ping pong balls for a dollar. He gave me an extra one for my trouble. He knew. But then he gave us three more ping pong balls just in case we lost those five. And then he left. Now, looking back on it, I should have started with the man in charge. The maintenance man on call had the power to provide for our every ping pong need. But I had to do it myself first. When we called the man, he made ping pong balls abound up to the tune of eight ping pong balls when I only needed one. So I took the other eight, I left the three sitting in the thing and gave the rest of them to Laura and said the next time we need ping pong balls, we got them. Our scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, and you're going to hear in that verse sort of kind of what we, we just talked about just then. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Really, the, the, what we're talking about is, is pretty much covered in chapter 8 and all of chapter 9. But, but this morning, we're looking for this one particular verse we're going to stick on here. And it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times... You may abound in every good work. Read one more time. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now today, you know, pretty obviously begins Vacation Bible School here. The first lesson that we're going to teach the children is this one, that God has the power to provide. God has the power to provide. And I believe if I went door to door in this room this morning and asked each one of you that question, do you believe that God has the power to provide for your every need if I walk to each one of you each and every one of you would say well yes pastor yes he does he has the power but for many of us I believe 
that that belief that, that God has the power to provide for our every need is an academic belief. It's a logical belief. It makes sense. If God is almighty and God is so sovereign, meaning almighty, he can do anything, right? Almighty, he can do anything. There is no limit to what God can do. He is almighty. If he's sovereign, that means he's over everything. So he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, wherever he wants to do it, because it's his to do with. So he's got the power to do anything. He's got the right to do it wherever he wants to do it. If those two things are true, then certainly he has the power to provide for my every need. That will get you an A on a theology test. That logic holds. That logic works. But the question is, do we live our life in a way that demonstrates that we believe that God does have the power to provide for our every need? And there's a very practical way to know that. There's a very practical test that you can apply to yourself right this minute to help you know, am I living my life believing that God has the power to provide for my every need? Here's the test. The way we give proves whether or not we believe that God has the power to provide for our needs. You hear that? The way we give proves whether or not we believe that God has the power to provide for our every need. Words versus actions. The way we give. Now, leaning back in your chair going, well, there's one of them preachers going to talk about money. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about money, and I'm talking about everything else you have. Not just things. I'm talking about your emotions, your feelings, your physical, your mental, your spiritual. The way we give what we have, no matter what it is. The way we give what we have proves whether or not we believe that God has the power to provide for our needs. Now, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about giving in this and specifically he is talking about money. Seems that the church in Jerusalem at that time was having a real hard go of it. Jesus has been resurrected. Persecution's broken out in the area. Go back and read the book of Acts and you'll find out that everybody left except for, uh, except for the primary disciples sort of stayed there. They're preaching, they're working, they're trying to get people saved in that area. But there's a lot of persecution going on. Hard to get a job, hard to make money, hard to live. So the church is very, very poor, and it's in Jerusalem, so that church is very close to everybody's heart, and Paul is out in these churches, and he's preaching the gospel that Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins, that if we would repent of our sins and trust God to do what he said he would do, that he would save us, that he would save us, take us to heaven when we die, live with us every day, make us new creations. He's preaching all of that, but he's also at the end of it saying, look guys, these guys down in Jerusalem are having a really, really hard time. And you guys, if y'all can spare some money to give to these folks in Jerusalem, that'd be cool. Let's take up a little offering. We'll have a little love offering for the church down in Jerusalem. And he gets to this church at Corinth and he talks to these guys about it. And these people in Corinth just look at this thing and say, wow, this is great. But then it causes them just to be in a little bit of a pickle. 
because he, he talks to the Corinthians church and they're all fired up. You know how it is. You tell people something for the first time and it captures their imagination right off the bat. Yeah, let's do this thing. Let's jump on it. Let's build us a new sanctuary and build us a new family life center and a new education space. Do it for the children. And we do all and We get all fired up. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Give me some money. And you go, it ain't that great, right? That's sort of how things go. And it's not just I picked that out because it went in my head, but there's a million things that we do that we think are great ideas until it time, comes time to put the rubber to the road. And then all of a sudden, well, the idea is not quite as great as it was. So this church at Corinth is all fired up. Yeah, Paul, yeah. Paul's sitting there going, look at these guys. Man, this is the greatest thing in the world. I went and preached this little sermon, and they want to do all this stuff. This is great. I tell you what, guys, get the offering together. I've got some other places to go, and then I'll come back. And so he goes to the Macedonian church. Macedonia is poor. Corinth is rich. He goes to the Macedonian church. He's not even going to ask them to give. They have so little. But while he's there, he is so fired up, he mentions what's going on in Corinth. And these Macedonians over here, they're going, well, wait a minute, now we want to give too. This is a big deal. These people need help. We don't have anything, Paul, but give us a chance. Give us a chance to give too. And Paul says, well, dude, that's cool. Let's do it. Y'all take up your offering. We'll go back to Corinth. We'll get their money. And then we'll go down to Jerusalem. It all sounds good. <clears throat> it all sounds good, except the devil likes to get into things. And so what happens is that while Paul is in Macedonia, they speculate. They don't know this for sure. But they speculate that some folks, now tell me this don't sound like a church. Because you got folks in the church that are wonderful folk, and you got folks in the church that say that they're saved that aren't even close. And they started saying, you know what? Paul wants this offering because he wants some of the money. And everybody leans back going, Paul's not that way. But I don't know about giving him all that money. That's a bunch. And so the church starts to cool off. And then church hears, then Paul hears about this in Macedonia. And now Paul is in a mess. Because, see, he's been bragging on that church. And now he's in Macedonia telling everybody how wonderful these people are. And these people aren't doing anything anymore. And so he's, he's what's going to make this even worse is these people from Macedonia are going to send some people. Think of, put yourself in his shoes. He's going to take some of these people from Macedonia with him. People who are struggling to make ends meet, but they took some money, food money, to give so that they'd do without a little bit so they could give to this thing. And they're going to show up in Corinth and there's not going to be an offering there. And so these people in Macedonia are going to look at Paul like, what's the deal? And the people in Corinth are going to be embarrassed because they didn't have any money. Paul's going to look like a liar because the people in Corinth didn't do anything. And the people in Macedonia, they're going to feel like they've been used. Got a big old mess going on here. So Paul tells them in the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 9, he tells them pretty pointedly, listen guys, I appreciate the situation back home. Get off your wallet and get busy. In fact, I'm going to send some of my buddies ahead of me so they can work with you to make sure that you do what you said you were going to do, that you live up to your end of the bargain. And then once he does all of that, then he gets into three principles about giving. 
He lays out three principles there to help them understand about giving. First principle is a very simple principle. It's one that we know, we know, it's in the Bible, we've heard it, we say it every time we go out and buy something. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. Now let me tell you something. Most of my shirts, most of my clothing does not come from the fanciest clothing places. But Renee went to Joseph A. Banks and bought me because they had this sale. And Renee knows the sale. She can make a penny scream in pain. The woman knows how to shop. And she found this sale and she bought me all these clothes. And I got this Joseph A. Banks shirt. And I'm telling you right now, son, that's a shirt. You put that bad boy, boy on and it feels good. You know, it fits just right. It's comfortable. Yeah. And then the other shirts I've got, they look okay. And I don't know, standing here, you sitting there, you couldn't tell any difference between the Joseph A. Bank shirt and my other shirts from somewhere else. But the Joseph A. Bank shirts lasted for two years. And some of these shirts, they don't last that long. You get what you pay for, right? And it works that way in ministry. If you give and you give generously, big things happen. If you give and you give stingily, that's a word, I just made it up. If you're stingy in your giving, then you don't get much back. If you go and give a beggar on the street $10, don't expect him to go stay in a hotel that night. Doesn't work. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you get generously. The second principle is this. Give, no, listen, listen to me. If you don't listen to anything else, I want you to understand this point before we get to the big point. Understand this point to let yourself off the hook. God is the one that works in us to make us want to do stuff. But we get it in our head sometimes that we need to and we'll drive ourselves crazy. Listen to this, the second giving principle. Give what you decide in your heart to cheerfully give nothing more and nothing less. You hear what I said? Give what you decide in your heart. Give what you decide in your heart to cheerfully give, gladly give, nothing more or nothing less. Don't give because you have to. Don't give and be grumpy about it. All they ever want at that church is they want my money and they want me to be on committees and they want me to teach and that's all they ever want me to do. Listen, if that's your attitude, sit down, shut up and don't do nothing and don't give anything. And I'm serious. If that's your attitude, don't. Let the Lord work in your heart to get you to do what he wants you to do. If that's your attitude, don't do those things. I don't need you, don't want you. No, God hadn't got you ready yet, but he will. And on the flip side of that coin, don't be the person that sits there all the time saying, all I can give is $15. And I just hate that all I can give is $15. It's not enough. It's not good enough. It's not. You know what? If all you can give is $15 and you give it cheerfully, hey, you've done what God's asked you to do. Let yourself off the hook. Give what you can give with a cheerful heart. If you begrudge it, keep your money. 
if you only can give $5, and you really can only give $5. Now listen, if you're drinking Starbucks coffee and you're buying five or six Cokes every week, you got your priorities all out of wonkle. You know what I mean? But if you truly can only give $5, give it and be happy and move on. Because what does it say? God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And you know what? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll make sure everything gets done. Which leads us to point number three. Point number three is this. It's the biggie. It's the foundation for what we started with. Remember what we started with? The way we give proves whether or not we believe that God has the power to provide for our needs. Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice that Paul starts here with, And God. Listen, how we give, how we help, how we volunteer, all of that reflects how we understand God. This is where we start. Paul says about God, he says that God is able. That means God has the ability, he has the means, he has the desire, he has everything that it takes to do it. He can do it, no doubts about it, no questions about it, no concerns about whether it'll get done right or wrong. God has the power to do what is being said that he can do. And what is being said that he can do is God is able to make all grace all grace now okay grace is a loaded word we want to start and we th we want to think just salvation here and it's talking about that the grace that washes away our past makes us a new creation saves us from our sin lets us stand up after we've stumbled that grace that lets you hold your head up after you've fallen listen to me and hear these things the grace that lets you stand up after you've fallen because he makes you new and he washes all that away people have a tendency to hang on to what you've done God doesn't want you've talked to him about it it's gone he lets you stumble he gets you back up again he moves you on down the road it's that grace but it's even more than that because he says all grace grace that provides for your every need Grace that provides your daily bread. Grace that provides your transportation. Grace that provides your entertainment. Grace that provides your ball uniforms, your vacations, your gadgets, your ping pong balls. It's the grace that provides all things. And God is able to make all grace abound. Abound. That word is sweet. Because abound doesn't, I mean, we think abound, that's a sort of religious word, you know, it, it abounds. No, it overflows. Now, at camp this week, I had proven to me that young people can handle mechanical stuff and modern stuff a lot better than us old folks do. When I went, and they had a, a coffee machine, and it has one of those little things you pull. I mean, it's simple. All you got to do is pull it forward. That's it pull it forward and I put my cup under there and I'd pull it forward and I'd let it get about three quarters full and then I'd flip the thing over and it run over every day it would overflow and I mean I was I, I really was getting sort of what obsessive about it you know just give me the cup and get it just here so I can walk and oh 
So we had people working KP duty. What KP duty meant is, and it was a really great idea, is that they got to go in early, they got to eat early, and then once everybody sat down, these KP people became our slaves. No, became our waiters and our waitresses. It was cool to watch the kids use them as slaves, though, you know. They'd intentionally forget their knives and forks and then sit down and go, oh, I'll need a knife, and they'll send it back. Oh, and I'll need a fork, too, and send them back. So anyway, I'm sitting there. I drank three cups of coffee back-to-back as fast as I could drink them every morning trying to wake up enough to be with these guys. So I'm getting my second cup, and, and Taylor Pruitt is my server for that morning. And I asked Taylor to go get my cup, and I, uh, another cup of coffee, and I explained to her the machine is going to overflow. And, all that, and she comes back to me, and she says, Mr. Randy, it didn't overflow. <laughs> what are you talking about, Taylor? I said, it, it overflows every time I use it. She says, Mr. Randy, it don't. Okay, so I send her, I get my second cup, I send her back for my third, it didn't overflow for her again, so I don't know what the deal was, but the point is the overflowing, it overflows. Have you ever made an ice cream sundae at home, a big ice cream sundae? I mean, you fill that bowl up with ice cream, I mean sun, it is ice cream heaven. And you get some of the Hershey's chocolate, you know, not that off-brand stuff that tastes like chocolate, I mean chocolate. And you get it, the good stuff, there it is. And you pour it over the top of it, and you look down, and it's starting to run over, overflowing. It's running over the side of the bowl. In case you've never experienced either one of those, if you have children, you have experienced this. They get up before you one morning, and they've decided for the first time in their little tiny existence that they're going to pour their own glass of milk. Uh-huh. And they don't know timing, and they don't understand, and they can't feel, and they don't know, and they pour, and the next thing you know, you've got milk overflowing that's what God does that's how God provides God is able to make all grace abound he makes grace overflow was talking to Mike Heiss before the service started about his grandmama's house living inside and living outside was essentially the same thing some of y'all know that. Some of the older folks that had folks that live out in the country, you know, the gaps between the board were so wide that, you know, you had air conditioning 24-7, 365 because outside was coming in. Just the way it was. Makes all grace abound. It overflows. We live in an age of overflow. None of us live in a house like that, I don't think, much anymore. We have overflow God's given us more. And it says, and God is able to make every possible blessing overflow to you. To you. Now hear me. You. Not some academic you, but selfie you. You know, you hold your... And the one you, yeah, 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 that's you. The one that looks in the mirror every morning and you see that person standing there. You. That person, he makes grace overflow to you. And God is able to make every possible blessing overflow to you so that, to the result that, you have three alls. You have all sufficiency. That means you've got everything you need, all sufficiency in all things, not just physical things, in all things that's in your life. In all things, all sufficiency in all things, all the time. All the time. 
And I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest truths that come around when you're sitting there thinking that something's about to happen at work that you're not up for. All you need to do, and it's easy to say, but you have to make yourself stop and think about it, is lean back in your chair and remember that God put me where I am. He has made me sufficient. He's given me what I need. He does it all the time. I'm good for whatever's coming. Me and him are going to take care of this. All grace, all sufficiency, all things, all the time. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, that means everything you need in every possible aspect of your life, in all things, at all times. Why did he put that in here? So that you may abound in every good work. Uh-oh. Those TV preachers don't preach that part, do they? Hmm. Yeah, see, God does all that he does. He floods us and our selfie self with every possible thing we need. Sufficient in all things, all the time. So we can give it away. I ain't so sure about that second part there, Barry. Like the first part. But that's what he says he does it for. He gives us all things. He gives us all things in all times, all sufficiency, everything we need so that we can give it away to somebody else. God has the power to provide for you so you can give it away. Giving begins and ends with God. He motivates us to want to give. That's why I'm saying if you're grumpy about your giving, don't give. Lean back. Talk to God. Let him motivate you to give. You'll end up giving more than you started with, I guarantee, because that's the way God works in us. Let him motivate you to give. He provides the means for us to give. He expects for us to give. And when we do overflow in our generosity by giving to other folks, overflowing, then he overflows more onto us so we can overflow more onto them. And when they taste that grace, they overflow to somebody else. And you see how the flood just keeps going? This is what he created. This is what he created this whole principle for. He overflows us with all grace so that we overflow on somebody else with all grace, so that they overflow on somebody else with all grace, and God touches every one of us. He gives more and more and more because God has the power to provide. It's what he does. It's what he does. It's what he wants to do. It's part of his purpose. He wants to provide his children with all grace, overflowing, so his children will be motivated by that grace to give to overflowing to some, so somebody else will experience his grace so they can give to overflowing, and that's how we change the world. You will not change the world with a stupid politician. And if you're a politician in here, I hope you don't fall under that category that I just said. But the ones I've watched on television, they all got issues. Every last thinking one of them. You're not going to change the world through politics. I don't care who you vote for. But you're going to change the world through following Jesus Christ 
and letting him give us everything we need so that we can give to someone else that they can give to someone else and his love changes the world. All because he provides us with the means and the motivation to be a part of something so much larger than ourselves. I was at, I was at transit camp this week with a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds. I needed ping pong balls. And I needed them bad. And he gave me eight. I only needed one. He gave me eight so that I could give them away. When God provides, he provides overflowing all grace to us. When he gives us things, he expects us to give these things away. When he heals our broken hearts, he expects us to heal other people's broken hearts. When he heals our hurts, he expects us to heal other people's hurts. God is able to provide so that we can turn and provide as well. Let me say it one more time. I want to send you home with this thought. The way we give proves whether or not we believe that God has the power to provide for our needs. It doesn't need to be words out of your mouth. It needs to be actions out of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much this morning. Thank you that the kids downstairs are starting to learn that you provide. And Lord, I know at their age that a lot of them are learning. They are learning on an academic level. They don't understand. They're not big enough to understand yet or wise enough or whatever it is that they are at this point to understand who you are. They don't grasp that I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but the not concrete thinking kind of thing. But I thank you that we're laying that foundation that they can go home and know that God's going to take care of them, God's going to provide. And I pray as they get older and older, Lord, they'll understand that when there's somebody that's bullying them at school, that they can turn to you and you're going to help them find somebody to help them not be bullied. And that when they are offered things that they don't need to be involved with that you will provide a way for them to be out of that situation and when they need things Lord that you will motivate somebody to provide things for them and father for us that are grown-ups I pray father not an academic exercise help us to have our faith grow when we step out just a little bit and give something to someone because you've given it to us and we see what it does in their life and we see you at work in their lives, grow our faith to starve for that moment so we can change the world for you. Please, Father. And in this moment, I pray that somebody in this house is understanding for the first time what grace is and that grace means that you can stumble and fall but that you father wash us clean and, and take us to places we never dreamed we could go thank you for being so good to us 
In Christ's name, amen. Tell me, we've made this Jesus thing so hard. We've just made it so hard. We put all these rules. It's sort of cool that uh, one, of the, one of the bad things is, is that church isn't as popular in the world as it used to be. Not everybody's Christian. A lot of people haven't ever gone to church before. And it was sort of, that's, you know, that's the downside of it. But the good side of that is a lot of the junk that we had in place doesn't exist anymore. I was teaching at, at camp, teaching the, at the last thing, and I mentioned something about just making a joke about, you know, as Baptists, we're not allowed to dance in the church. And about half of the group looked at me like, why not? Because they had never heard that before. And I thought, you know what? That's cool. That's cool. We've got a chance to reset, get rid of some of the rules, get rid of some of the stuff that, that makes it so hard to be a Christian because it's really not hard. It's this simple. You're a sinner. Anybody in here? I would say anybody in here not, but if you're saved, you're not. So I guess I'd be careful with that question. Anybody in here lived the perfect life? No. And if you've not accepted Christ or not trusted Christ as your Savior, you're still in that spot over there where you're fighting against all of this stuff. You've got sin in your life and what you have to do. How do I know God's calling me? Well, you're sitting in here right now. How did you get here? Even if it was an accident, even if your wife or husband made you get here, you are here. God used them to get you in this room this morning so you can hear me say this. If you will turn to Christ and say, listen, I don't like the way I've been living. The, the things that I do don't turn out the way I want them to turn out. Or I've done great things and I've got wonderful things and I still feel like there's something missing, Lord. I need you. I'll turn from that. I want to follow you. You say you'll save me. Please do. And when you do that, he says, gotcha. I make you a new creation. I wash your sins away. You're going to stumble and fall. I'll pick you up because my job from this point on is to make you as much like Jesus as I can until the day that you breathe your last breath and then I'm going to grab you by the hand and I'm going to pull you in so you can experience the glory of God for eternity. That's a long time. One thing, repent of your sins and trust him. Then he pours all grace and that's cool. So this morning, if you've, if you've never done that or you're doing that this morning, I invite you to turn to him and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Please, Lord, forgive me, save me, make me your child. And he'll do that. I'd ask you to come forward and let me know that. Be a member of the church, baptize, all that kind of stuff. If you want to join the church, you can. If you need to pray in your seat, please pray in your seat. You've got just a few minutes. When you leave here, hustle, bustle. Preschoolers are downstairs to be picked up. Older children are in a fellowship hall to be picked up. And you've got to hurry because we're a little bit long and they'll be going crazy. Take a few minutes, though, right this minute. Ask God, help me understand the overflowing of your grace. Let's stand.